0: Good morning. My name is Ellie Jones. I will be reading from Jonah 3, verses 1 through 9. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth, And this is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Please be
1: dreams, our gifts, our possessions, to your eternal purposes. As we turn to your word, O oh God, may we surrender to the transforming power of your spirit. May we receive your word and be moved to greater faith and obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. This is the fourth of six sermons from the book of Jonah. My name is Tom Macy, member of the pastoral staff, and I've actually been gone about as many Sundays as Jeff over the last six weeks. I've been gone four of the past six, one of those to preach in Wichita, where we came from a long time ago, and then last week a wedding for Jorge Sinise in uh, Rockford, Illinois. So that was a delightful time, but glad to be back with you and the opportunity to preach. Uh, in the series in Jonah. Now, Jonah is a strange little book. Of the 16 major and minor prophets, and by the way, major minor doesn't mean more or less important. It just has to do with the size of them. Uh, Of the 16, 14 are filled with hard-hitting messages, thus says the Lord, preaching of judgment to Israel, Judah, the surrounding nations calling to repent, and also filled with great promises of the coming of Messiah fulfilled in Jesus. The other two, Daniel and Jonah, are more story-based narratives. The only two prophets normally included in the children's storybook, I mean, Daniel in the lion's den is right up there with David and Goliath is the very best of the best stories. Daniel also, of course, has deep prophetic revelations along with the narrative, many of these prophecies of huge significance for the future. But Jonah really then stands out by himself as uh, unique. uh, Very little of what you find in the other prophets. In fact, instead of a lot of messages that the other prophets give us, Jonah only is credited in this entire book with five words of prophetic preaching. Only five words. Jonah 3 verse 4, yet 40 days Nineveh overthrown. That's all. So Jonah is not really about the message of the prophet to the world. It's about God's interaction with the messenger, which then secondarily is for us, as I suggest to you, that we are a lot more like Jonah than we may realize. And what providential timing for this sermon, Uh, happy 4th of July. Well, I'm about three days late, I guess, but uh, it was actually on the 3rd of July and I've told you this before, but we continue our pattern of going out to the Star-Spangled Symphony on the Prairie uh, with our granddaughters, and uh, the ISO plays this great uh, patriotic music of our nation's history, movie music from the Patriot and Gettysburg, two of the very best, uh, the latter after the reading of the Gettysburg Address by an Abe Lincoln actor. And I still laugh when Abe says, the world will little note, no longer remember what we say here. We still remember it, Abe, you were wrong on that. But my laughter is soon muted as he goes on to say, but it can never forget what they did here as they died on the battlefields of Gettysburg. Teaching U.S. history this past year in homeschool has added to my perspective. Then just this past month, we we passed the 75th anniversary of D-Day, June 6, 1944. Sacrifices of the greatest generation to defeat the evil of the Nazis and Imperial Japan. And so these kinds of events uh, cause me to, to well up with tears for, with my love for my country. The, the music stirs deep within me my patriotism, my love and gratitude. And yet as I look at our flag with those same uh, feelings of patriotism, uh, yet there's this accompanying burden. As I look at our flag, as I celebrate our country that I love, as I consider where we are today, it seems rapidly rejecting the Word of God and walking away from the will of God. Now, some of you are saying, I thought this was supposed to be a sermon about Jonah. I think you got lost. No. There's a connection as Jonah, like me, like many of you, perhaps most of you, he was a patriot. Not from 1776 Philadelphia, Boston, or Virginia, nor from Normandy in 1944, nor from New York City in 2001, but from the Northern Kingdom of Israel in 750 BC. Now, who was Jonah? There was only one other reference in the Old Testament uh, other than this book, but it is significant. It's the middle of the 8th century. Jeroboam II was the reigning king of Israel, the northern kingdom, and God showed mercy on Israel. They were wicked. Every king they had was wicked. But God showed mercy and gave them a degree of economic prosperity and safety even the restoration of their borders as in the time of David and Solomon. And Jonah had prophesied this. The only other reference to Jonah in the Bible in the Old Testament, he's found in the New Testament. But in 2 Kings fourteen twenty-five, when King Jeroboam, uh, what King Jeroboam would accomplish was prophesied by Jonah, he restored the border of Israel from Lebo-Hamath, that's east into Syria and along the eastern side of the Jordan River, as far as the Sea of the Arabah, which is the Dead Sea, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke to his, spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-hefer." Now that's near Nazareth, so we've got a lot of geography included in this. So God, uh, J- Jonah prophesied God's protection for Israel from Assyria thus was very aware of the Assyrian threat, and in the book of Jonah, God calls him to go to the capital city of Assyria, which was Nineveh, and preach to them. What did he do? Well, he disobeyed God, ran the other way, boarded a ship just, north, or just south of Tel Aviv, a place called Joppa was caught in a storm, swallowed by a fish, got a case of foxhole religion in the belly of the fish, where he remembered the Lord, prayed for deliverance, God graciously delivered him. Jonah 2 verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish, it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land, presumably on the eastern Mediterranean shore of Israel. Welcome back, Jonah. You get a second chance. Let me show you the parallels. Joey asked me to preach the first few verses of chapter 3, and it's like, you've already preached the first three verses of chapter 3 in the first three verses of chapter 1. It's the same thing, almost. So let's look at it. Jonah 1 verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Jonah 3, 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. So really nothing new there. It's just the second time, given a second chance. Jonah 1, verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Jonah 3, 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now, some see a a difference here. I don't. He's already told what the message is, and now he's just saying, give that message. A pronouncement of judgment against Nineveh, which is stated in the summary of his preaching. Yet 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. But now we get to verse 3, and there is a significant change. Jonah 1, verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah 3, verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the lord so we have a radical shift a difference between overt rebellion running away from god in disobedience and now submission to god obediently doing what god commanded so here's the major transition the two main sections of the book act 1 is jonah's rebellion chapters 1 and 2 act 2 is jonah's obedience in chapters 3 and 4 but you might notice i put some quotation marks around obedience so we're going to unpack that a bit today has he really learned anything has jonah really changed pastor jeff will have to resolve that for us over the next couple of weeks as we wrap this series but but we'll encroach a little into that territory as we look at the second chance for jonah The outline is almost the same as Joey gave us in chapter 1, the man, the mission, and the ministry instead of the mutiny, which he had in chapter 1. And so briefly, let's look at the man again. How has he changed? How has he been affected by marinating for three days in the juices of the large sea animals' digestive tract? And by the way... There are credible examples of humans being swallowed alive by sharks or whales and even reports of survival, but uh, that's not really critical if you accept miracles because how much of this was natural, how much was a miracle, certainly the timing at least was a miracle and God's design for Jonah. But for all he's been through, it seems that Jonah at heart is still Jonah. Well-known hero. I don't know if that was before or after this, actually, for prophesying days of prosperity. But he was a highly partisan Israel nationalist with no love for Assyria or any other country. What we don't know for sure is his view of God, but my assumption is that he saw God as also highly partisan for Israel so that to wish judgment on Israel's enemies would be a fully acceptable position. That's why he was so confused with the mission as it unfolded in regard to Nineveh. So let's take some more time here with the mission. Uh, No significant change the way it's presented here. Verse 2, go to Nineveh, the great city, call out against it. Uh, It's exactly as before. The only difference is that we already have the reason for him doing it, for their evil has come up before me. Chapter 3, call out against it the message that I tell you, and God's already told him. Was there more? I don't know. doesn't say, but no reason to think the message has changed. What is not explained? is God's intention or purpose behind the mission and what Jonah understood about the mission from the beginning. We'll get some hints that he knew a lot more and worried about a lot more from the beginning than what chapter one tells us. So here's a number of questions. Why was Jonah not happy about the message and the mission? Seems like he would really like the message. I mean, I hate the Assyrians. I get to pronounce the doom of God upon the Assyrians, so hooray for me. But then, was he afraid to go there for fear of his life? That would be a logical fear. I mean, you tell me that I am to go to a city that is known for the most cruel uh, torture before death and then death of any place in the world, and you want me to confront the people of that city with their sins? I don't think so. I don't even, I, it's not even safe to go tell them God's going to judge them, because they're going to judge me before God judges them. That would have been a rational fear. They were extremely cruel, as uh, Joey unpacked for us a couple of weeks ago. By the way, if you haven't heard those messages, uh, they're available online, and uh, so you can watch or, or listen. Uh, but but. They were a lot like the ISIS fighters of our day from the same region, except even worse. So he had a reason to be afraid. But what was the mission and the reason behind it? Now we have to take a sneak peek into chapter 4 to definitively answer, but the whole of scripture reveals the mission of God to the world that Jonah should have known, and ultimately the text proves that he did know but didn't like it. He was opposed to God's mission. His primary problem is that he didn't agree with God's mission. His heart was not with God's mission. That's why he ran away. And so I ask you, do you know God's mission for the world? The Great Commission of Jesus is to make disciples of all the nations, but that's not original to Jesus, the man on earth, in Matthew 28, 19. It goes back more than 2,000 years before that to Abraham. Uh, to Abraham in Genesis 12, God says, I'll make you into a great nation, I'll, make you, I'll bless you and make your name great, so that There's a reason behind it. It's not just going to bless this guy because I like him, I'm going to bless you so that You will be a blessing, bless those who bless you, him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's a foundational programmatic text for the whole Bible. God's mission from the beginning has the whole world in mind, all people groups, all ethnicities, not just Israel. Israel was to be a witness of God's mission, an instrument of God's mission to bless the whole world. World. So from bookend to bookend of the Bible, Old and New Testament, God's mission, and I'm just going to focus now on the bookends of the Old Testament for a moment, a thread runs through it all. Malachi 1.5, great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. Malachi 1.11, my name will be great among the nations. Psalm 48, like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Psalm 67, may the people praise you, O God, may all the peoples praise you. Isaiah 45, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. Before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. Where have you read that before? Philippians chapter 2. Isaiah 49, listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. It is too small a thing, too narrow a vision. For you, Israel, to be my servant, I will also make you, little Israel, I'll make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. But that that is God's mission from the beginning to the end of the book. But Israel didn't get it. Jonah didn't get it. The early church didn't get it. Far too much of Christendom today doesn't get it. Peter, he had to go through radical retraining, very painful experiences to deal with deeply held convictions and practices that that had to be shaken for him to understand the mission. Paul. Got it much more quickly, it seems. He called it the mystery that Gentiles will be included in the family of God and fully included with Jews and Gentiles in God's family. I love it when I'm preparing a message and whatever God has for me in my regular planned reading for the day or the week just pops out and relates to what I'm planning to preach. This time it was Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 Paul writes, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, so this is missional for sure, what is it to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." The mystery is what? Jews and Gentiles in one family, the family of God. Just this morning, I read Colossians 4, the last thing before he starts into the greetings. Pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. What's the mystery of Christ? That God has one family made up of Jews and Gentiles from all over the world. One family, one people of God. And then he ends by saying, on account of which I am in prison. Now, if Jonah was writing that, he would say, on account of, I ran away. I want nothing to do with this mission of God. I don't really like this mission of God. It offends my patriotism. I'm not for it. But we must understand the mission of God. Jonah didn't get it, especially not for their nearby neighbors, the Syrians, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Philistines, certainly not for Egypt, a major superpower for a long time, now dwindling in this era. Now the Assyrians who were powerful and scary, he didn't get it for them. What about us? I see in America today this separating into extremes. And both sides, in my view, are well into the ditch, off of the the road, off of the path. As some in America, we can get our flag entangled with our faith, our love of country having a greater grip on our hearts than God's Word, so that loyalty to the good old USA exceeds our faithfulness to God. Pride of country can negatively affect our attitude toward the people of other nations. Now, in conflicts with other nations, I'm not speaking about the government's responsibility to protect our borders, the responsibility of the, the military and the State Department and those parts of government. I don't understand all those things, but, but I'm not talking about their responsibility to protect our country and be a source of, of, of positive impact in the world. Uh, But, whatever the case there, whatever's right or wrong there, in conflicts between the U.S. and other nations, do we see in those nations, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, North Korea, China, Russia, do we see the people there for whom Christ died so that in these very places, gospel movements, are, if we're paying attention, you're not going to get it in the mainstream media or even the reactions to the mainstream media, but gospel movements are there. Our brothers and sisters are coming into the family. That's the mission. That's what really matters. That's the big news. God bless America. Yes, please, God, bless America, but it can be an attitude that we are the only ones worthy of blessing. We have no use for the rest of the world, and God can curse them, and we'd be fine with that. Blow them off the map. We'd be fine with that, and we're blind to what God is doing in the rest of the world to draw people to himself. We get lost from the mission. Jonah's blind nationalism, even the most noted prophetic ministry to announce the economic expansion of Israel blinded him to the unique grace of God and even the justice of God on Israel that would bring the Assyrians back to full strength 30 to 40 years later after they went through a period of of decline, came back to full strength and destroyed Israel. Great threat to Judah and the southern kingdom as well in Jerusalem, holding its siege and great suffering there. Before then, God destroyed Assyria but he used Assyria to destroy Israel and discipline Judah before he brought judgment on Assyria through the Babylonians. And I warn you, my fellow Americans, we must not think as Americans that we are immune to judgment at the hand of God through other nations who may seem to be more wicked than we are, and maybe they are more wicked. But God can judge us Through them and by them, it may be happening right now, and we're blind to it. When asked about natural disasters and human cruelty, a lot of people get this so wrong because they say, okay, well, this happened, therefore you must have sinned and done this particular thing, or try to isolate it and say, well, this happened because of this. Jesus says, when a natural disaster occurs or when a great act of evil occurs, killing many people. The response should be to all of us, unless we repent, we will likewise perish. Every one of those is a warning to all of us to draw us to the Lord. The main issue for us as believers, what Jonah missed is God's call to mission for him. But now let's go to the ministry and see if it works out any better. The ministry, this is uh, where we do find a radical change in Jonah from his mutiny in chapter one. Uh, verse 3, Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, and according to the word of the Lord. So, this is really cool. Obedience now is, is, is on the screen. Obedience. The disobedient prophet is now the obedient prophet, or is he? I still have major questions. Take a closer look. Just quickly, the not ignore this piece, though it's not the most important part, but verse 3 says, Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. The translators have really struggled with this. Literally it's a three days' walk, and uh, so it's a little hard to figure out what it actually means. Uh, NIV, the original 84 version of Is It, required three days. NIV 2011, the revision, it took three days to go through it. Uh, So, what is it? Various possibilities, and I'm not sure. Three days to walk across it? Well, that's problematic because estimates are that it shouldn't have taken more than one to three hours to walk from one side of the city to the other, as you look at where the city walls were. So that's probably not what it means. Three days to get to it, well, Jonah was spit up on the shore, Mediterranean shore, and he had at least four to six weeks of walking to get to Nineveh, so that doesn't make sense, A couple that I think are more likely to walk the greater Nineveh area. If I say Indianapolis, what do I mean? If I say Chicago, what do I mean? Do I mean the actual city limits in Indianapolis, primarily Marion County? Or do I mean greater metropolitan Indianapolis? You know how big that is? Eleven counties. There's a lot of farmers in Indianapolis by that record. But they, they spoke of the the, uh, the, the district. The administrative district of Nineveh, that could have been a three days journey to go from one side to the other. Or another possibility that I I certainly entertain positively is that to go through street by street, three days to saturate the city with the message from God. In my view, it's not just walking rapidly from one side of the city to the other, it's walking through the city from place to place to get a crowd and announce God's judgment, announce God's warning. I think that is certainly a likely possibility. But either way, It's not critical to the message, verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So we have now the preaching. This is extraordinary. It, It did take courage. Are you ready to go through Indianapolis and call down or announce the judgment of God on our city? seems like every time I go to uh, opportunity for a Colts game or a, or a Pacers game, um, there's somebody with a megaphone that's shouting judgment and repentance and maybe in some for, a form announcing the gospel. Um, there's part of me that admires the courage to do that very much. I don't necessarily think it's done very well, and as we're walking past rapidly, we don't really have a chance to to think through what is being said, so I'm not sure that's the best way of evangelism, but it might be a better way than the evangelism we're not doing, so uh, be careful about your judgment there. But, um, preaching the grace of God, which is what we're about, must be preceded by Declaring the holiness of God, the justice of God, the wrath of God against sinners. And so what we have operating here, I don't know what else Jonah said. Maybe just developing this theme of God's judgment and wrath, but preaching God's wrath is the necessary context for setting forth God's grace. Preaching the law, the Ten Commandments, is necessary so you can offer hope to those who break the law. We need to see our need of salvation before we're interested in the way of salvation. I was driving down Keystone yesterday, I think it was, and big pickup truck, Jesus saves on the back gate. And uh, It's always kind of nice to see that, but you know it raises the question, from what? It's really nice that Jesus saves. You know, somebody drowning, what's what's he specializing in, what can he do? And how many people say, well, that's wonderful that Jesus saves, but I don't need saved, so what's the big deal? No, we need to see our need of salvation before we're interested in the way of salvation. So I need to hear all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I need to hear the wages of sin is death before I hear. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In this case, however, there's no evidence that the good news of the gospel, the prophecies of Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, or other passages, Isaiah 9, were presented after the preaching of judgment. It was just judgment. Yet 40 days, and none of us shall be overthrown. But there is grace here, and I want to show it to you in two ways. Number one, the preaching of judgment itself is grace. Preaching of judgment itself is grace. Do you see how? Perhaps this is the most common illustration, but it still connects with me. If I walk by your house tonight and I see smoke coming out the vents, how do do I respond to that? I think, you know, these are my friends. Maybe you're my enemies. I don't know, whichever it might be. and uh, But I, I, I don't want to disturb you. I mean, you're peacefully asleep in bed. Let you sleep. And so I walk on by. No, I don't do that. I see smoke coming out of the vents of your house and I rush to the door, I bang on the door, I break it down if I can, I break the windows, I scream into the house, I try to get in there to see if anybody's in there to save. What am I doing? I'm announcing judgment is coming, flee this judgment. I like this one better. Uh, You've had this happen, your smoke alarm goes off in the night. You've had that happen, haven't you? Unless you haven't changed the batteries for 10 years, then it doesn't bother you at all. (laughs) But the smoke alarm goes off in the night. Chirp, chirp. It's really not the alarm. It's just telling you your batteries are dead. You didn't change them the last time the clock changed like you're supposed to do it. And so you curse the alarm. You get up. You pull the batteries out of it so it'll be quiet the rest of the night. You don't worry about it. You go to bed. And then you forget about it the next day, so that's why you don't have any smoke alarms working in your house today. You might want to check into that. But if that smoke alarm really goes off, you don't curse the alarm, you bless the alarm for waking you up and giving you a chance to save your lives. Preaching the wrath of God is itself an act of grace. Second evidence of God's grace is the 40-day warning. God doesn't owe me me a warning. He doesn't owe Nineveh a warning. He could justly rain down burning sulfur upon them, as he did at Sodom and Gomorrah. But he warned them, gave them an extended time to repent. One of the great and glorious themes of the Bible is the glorious return of Jesus Christ. We're told to wait expectantly for him. But even in the first century of the church, Peter warned that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, saying, where is the promise of his coming? They were mocking the idea of divine judgment. I've heard this before. Not happened yet, it's not going to happen. Here's Peter's response, 2 Peter 3, 5-10. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, the earth was formed out of water and through the water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. That's the story of Noah and the great flood. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Peter says, in light of that, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years as his one day, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing any of you to perish, but for all to come to repentance. but the day of the Lord will come. My friends, do not mock the preaching of God's grace, the preaching of God's wrath, because it is actually the warning that you might receive God's grace and give you the opportunity to repent. Whether 40 years of warning, some of you have had 40 years of warning and have continued to ignore it. Maybe more than 40 years of warning. God has been so gracious. God has been so patient. But the day of judgment will come. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. We don't know when that day ends. I can still say today is the day of salvation. I don't know about tomorrow. It may not be the day of salvation still available to you tomorrow. You might be dead before tomorrow. I don't know if you'll have tomorrow. Take the gracious warning of God's wrath seriously as an act of grace. And then finally, consider the response of the Assyrians. The people of Nineveh Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. What's described here is perhaps the most dramatic revival in history. It's hard to make a case of what really happened here in terms of Was it a temporary turning away from their worst practices? Uh, Was it a real belief in which they embraced Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Israel? Were some of them actually saved? I don't know. I think that's a stretch. At best, it was short-term, it was only a few decades before Nineveh destroyed Israel, took up siege against Jerusalem, was herself destroyed 150 years later by Babylon. But regardless of the nature or extent of this revival, the immediate results are revealed in verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. He did not do it. And my friends, that is the grace of God. Jonah, who preached this great revival, gets angry. His worst fears realized he wanted God's judgment to fall on Nineveh, but he anticipated For Jonah, this is Jonah's language now, not mine, he anticipated this disaster of grace. Isn't that an awful term? It is. But that's Jonah's thinking, this disaster of grace. He anticipated it because he references the character of God from Exodus 34, 6, paraphrased in Jonah 4, 2, and 3, I knew. It's like he's in the face of God. I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. He couldn't celebrate God's grace. So therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to live, to die, than to live. Well, Jonah's a mess. I'll leave him to Pastor Jeff to deal with. (laughs) I don't see that Jonah's made any progress in submitting to the will of God. I don't see it all the way to the end end of the book. He only went to Nineveh under duress, hoping for an outcome of judgment on his enemies and nothing more. Oh, may God protect us from such a heart. Rather, may we celebrate the extension of God's grace to sinners without which none of us would be saved, not a one of us. And may we embrace the mission of God to reach all peoples of the world, from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, for his eternal family in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? O Lord God, give us hearts of compassion like yours. In this matter, may we be men and women after your heart, O Lord, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance and to preach the justice, your justice, God, and your wrath, God, as a message of grace to be followed by the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.